You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Every once in a while, things just work out for you. Like, we had a guest ready to go, Ed. We've had him on a bunch of times before. Don Paul has joined us, former White Sox relief pitcher, pitched in the late 80s, early 90s for the White Sox, and I'm like, let's talk pitching. Let's talk about relief pitchers, the bullpen. Can guys like Joe Kelly bounce back? What does he see in some of these guys? What does he see in the starters? Is there somebody who can move from the pen into the starting rotation? I'm ready to go with Don. And then perfectly... Excerpts from a new book, Bo Jackson, The Last Folk Heroes Start Getting Out. It's a book by Jeff Perlman, and it turns out some things are said about famous White Sox players in the clubhouse that Don Paul was in. So we're going to get into all of it right here on this episode of Sox in the Basement, brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Remember, if you mention Sox in the Basement, you get additional money off. They're available 24-7. They're family and veteran owned and operated, and they win all kinds of awards. Give them a call, 708-330-4466, and see what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. But now, a guy who actually grew up in the same neighborhood that the home base for Family Waterproofing Solutions is located in, actually the village of Evergreen Park, a Southsider who got to play for his hometown team. Don Paul's on the line, back on the show. How are you, Don? I am doing wonderful. Good to talk to you, Chris. Good to talk to you, too. Uh... Not the season we were hoping for. I think we talked uh, way back uh, towards the beginning of the season. Definitely not what we were hoping for for the White Sox. Now, a lot of questions in the offseason, trying to find a manager, trying to figure out what you're going to change about this lineup because there's uh, definitely some work that needs to be done. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I agree. It was definitely disappointing. Um, you know, you, you kept thinking this is going to be a team that's got the talent in there to win this division, and you just kept struggling. And you keep waiting for it. And then, you know, you're ready to write them off. And then all of a sudden they win three, four, five in a row. Thinking, okay, this is it. We're moving on. And now all of a sudden you lose again. And this just kept you dangling the whole season instead of, you know, it almost would have been better as a fan to have them you know, knocked out early on instead of kind of teasing us the whole way through. So it was, it was tough to be a fan this year for sure. And, uh, uh, the only good thing you can say is hopefully there's better days ahead. There you go. Another catchy slogan for the White Sox. You've been a part of them before. The 2022 <laughs> White Sox teasing you the whole way through. That's a solid right. one. Right there. <laughs> uh, that's good. Or else, or else better days ahead. I like that too. <laughs> there we go. I like that one as well. So, you know, you had a you had a, a solid career in, in the majors. You bounced around to a couple of different teams. You ended up with a ring at one point. Uh, you, you got your career started off with the White Sox. We've talked about that before. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about just pitching and your observations of this team and what you think could happen, especially in the bullpen. The The White Sox have a couple of guys who in the past have shown better skill coming out of the bullpen than we saw this year. Okay. And we've talked about on this show before that relief pitchers, they're the kind of guys that they could get going. They can fix something. They can figure something out. They can get on a run. You might get a couple of years where they're high-end and they're tough, but it's very rare that a guy keeps that going for a long time out of the bullpen, and it's also kind of rare to see a guy drop off after that and then find it again. Can any of these guys that had down years 
how how hard is it how or how easy is it to turn it around and get back to what you used to be coming out of the pen i think yeah you do see that a lot happening and yeah i'm not sure what the exact reasoning is on why relievers it seems like maybe have that happening more often than other position players i, I don't know but i think definitely you can get it back uh, you had it before, and uh, as long as you're 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 healthy and you got the velocity the same and all, I think you know it's not like the hitters have learned you and uh, they own you now and they they figured you out. I think there's just you know I don't know if it's a mental thing or or, or something that uh, your delivery or something that's got you off track. Um, but yeah, I think part of it might be you know. I just think a good pitching coach can help out so much, too, for them. You know, a good bullpen coach and a good pitching coach can help out these pitchers for sure. Um, so, anyway, the guys that have fallen off, I wouldn't write them off by any means. I still think that they can get get the, get the magic back, as you could say, but uh, they certainly can get it all going again. I think it'd be they can do it. When you're in a season or you get to the end of a season, but actually let's just think in season, and you have a couple of bad outings right at the beginning coming out of the pen, do you start trying to chase? Do you look at that bloated ERA, uh, bloated numbers, and you're like, wow, that looks terrible. Even though it's only a couple of innings of work, you just had a bad first few innings. Like Joe Kelly comes to mind for me, a guy who his first couple times out, it, it looks terrible. And then even though he's starting to figure out, it feels like he's constantly chasing to be perfect because he's got to get those gaudy numbers down to something respectable. Does that ever creep into the mind of a relief pitcher? Yeah, absolutely. I can certainly speak to uh, from personal experience and stuff like that. Because um, that's the problem with relief pitchers. You have so few innings. If you have one bad outing and give up like several runs, four runs or something in one inning, your ERA is screwed now for for a long time unless you really you know go well going forward. You know, so you can't have that mindset of I got to be perfect to get this thing down now. I mean, I, cause I've had that happen before to me. And to me, I think the best way to approach it after that is to say, okay, I'm starting a new season now. You know, the rest of the season starts today. Whatever happened before, that's in the past, nothing I can do about it. But the rest of the season starts now. I want to have a good season from now on out. I mean, you know, so basically you're looking at it like an opening day again for you and go from there, I think. And so that way you don't have the – bad stuff weighing on you it's just kind of clear the clear the slate and start over is the way to go about it it's all mental you're known as a relief pitcher but as you were coming on up in your life you started baseball games you know at lower levels uh is it is it different in terms of recovering from mistakes I, I look at a starting pitcher and he could have a bad inning but he gets left out there because it's early on and he gets to fix it right then and there. Where a relief pitcher, it starts to go wrong for him. Not only is he out almost immediately, but he might not get back in for a couple of days. What is the mentality there when you've had something go wrong and you want to fix it, but you may not be able to do it right away like a starter could? Yeah, that that is a little bit of a problem with a reliever. And it, you're right, it's very different to be a starter than a reliever. But as a reliever, you got those things going on. You know, you've got to go and work on it in your bullpen then. You know, if you had some issues going on and you're taken out of the game, like you said, you can't work out of the game, you know, the next uh, next day or so, you're in the bullpen, uh, you know, maybe not, not heating up and, and using up your arm, but you're, you're working on things, uh, what you did before. You might get a day off, or two days off or something, but use that time to – 
to kind of uh, maybe maybe you're throwing uh, half speed, three quarter speed to the catcher. You know, I get him down. You know, work on. I'm gonna throw this. You know, slider or forkball or something. Just work on getting it down and keeping it down. So yeah, that's that's the way that I would go about it too. And and again, as a reliever too, you have to have that that mindset of whatever happened this last outing, you know, it's just got to slide right off and I got to go back out there like nothing happened again. You know, whether it was, I always thought whether it was a great outing or a terrible outing ahead last, to me, you know, it's all about your next outing. You know, nobody cares about what you did in the past. It's what I'm going to do this next outing is what matters. So enjoy or, or feel bad about the last outing for, you know, the rest of that night. But after that, okay, it's, uh, I got to get past that and, and like have like have no memory at all of it and just go out there like it's all new again. Dylan Cease had an incredible year. I'm sure you enjoyed watching that as a pitcher. Uh, what, what did you see from him? What, what did you enjoy the most watching him uh, pitch baseball games? And is there somebody possibly that you were watching this year on this team that you think could take a next step based upon stuff that you saw as a professional uh, watching on the TV or in person like we do? I, I just loved watching Dylan Cease, you know, attack the hitters. Uh, thank you, Storm more. Seems like he's throwing more strikes anyway, you know, because before he, he, he walked all, seemed like he walked a lot more guys. It seemed like he was going after guys better, you know, throwing a lot of breaking balls in the zone. Um, you know, it was it was a, a, a treat to see just him attacking guys and and guys you know struggling off of him. You know, I'd love to see him again just go deeper. I'd like to see every starter go deeper in a game. It's just, you know, it's I don't know if that's uh, not possible in today's uh, game, today's age of baseball here. But I just hate to see how these starters go. You know, six innings or five six innings, and you got a hundred pitches already. It's like I don't know what the heck's the deal if everybody's trying to strike everybody out or what, but it's, uh, it's it's crazy how that's the case. You know, and as far as, you know, who else could take a next step like him, you know, I don't, I, I'm thrilled to see how Ronaldo Lopez has come along. You know, he was a guy that we kind of wrote off, I think, after uh, you know, a couple of years ago where we thought he had promised, then it was like, okay, this is not the guy. Now he's really taking some, some great stuff. So, you know, maybe he can continue that. You know, maybe the guy can be a starter. Or maybe uh, you know his spot in the, and then the bullpen is where he he belongs and he's, he does that really well. You know, so wherever he can, you know, do the best at, whether it be starting or relieving, uh, that's where we can put him. And I think they've got a lot more confidence in him now. And uh, uh, he's been a key component. So hopefully, he continues to improve. I like that. There, I, I keep looking at him as a guy that might deserve another chance. To get into the rotation, yeah. I also find it very funny that a relief pitcher, a relief, not a starter, because you hear this from starting pitchers all the time, a relief pitcher is complaining about how many innings these guys pitch in the modern game and saying it's not enough. I love it, Don. <laughs> Normally, you guys want to get in. You're like, these guys are out too soon. Lay off the relief pitchers. God. Don't go in the bullpen so early. That's crazy. Well, right. Well, all right. And now you got like, what, about 10 guys in the bullpen? You know, because these guys are going five innings, you got to get like 10 guys in the bullpen now. It's just it's ridiculous the way this game has changed. By the way, Don, have you heard about the Morning Wood Bat Company? Ch- check this out real quick. The wood from this tree melts the ball. Deep to right field into the bleachers. Morningwoodbats.com is the custom wooden baseball bat company that'll help you smoke them over the fence. Check out our custom bat builder that allows you to pick the wood species, model, and color and get custom personalized engraving that'll be drop shipped right to you. Put some life in your lumber with Morningwood. Morningwoodbats.com. 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 Do it today. You cannot get a Don Paul bat 
because he didn't bat. He was a relief pitcher. But you can get all kinds of replica bats and so much more. Socks in the Basement listeners, use the promo code SOCKS22 for 10% off your order. So many great ideas for the holidays. I know we haven't even made it to Halloween, but I'm just getting it in there early. Basically because I want something from MorningwoodBats.com. Don Paul on the line with us. And, and Don, I, I got to ask you, did you see... Did you see this book that's out? It's being promoted in the last couple of days about Bo Jackson called The Last Folk Hero. You played with Bo. Have you, have you read anything about it yet? I have never heard about it. I didn't know anything about it. I don't know. Is it good? Did you hear anything about it? You're going to love it, Don. Okay, here we go. Uh, so <laughs> okay. it, it follows Bo Jackson, and uh, at some point in the book, he makes it to the Chicago White Sox in a clubhouse that you were a part of. Yeah. And so I'm not going to read the whole page about the clubhouse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the descriptions in the book by Jeff Perlman of players that you played with. And I want, okay. I'm just curious if you have any comments on this, okay? First off, he describes Carlton Fisk, Ellis Burks, Tim Raines, and Lance Johnson as well-respected veterans in the clubhouse as Bo arrives, okay? Uh, he, he, he talks about uh, journeymen that are in the clubhouse like Yvonne Calderon and Mike Huff. By the way, you're not mentioned, Don, so don't worry about it, okay? Wow, okay. I think I'd be a journeyman myself. <laughs> he talks about a surly brooder by the name of George Bell. That's what he's referred to as. <laughs> and nonstop yapper Ozzie Guillen. Uh-huh, okay. And then goes on to talk about how Steve Sachs like to flick the nether regions of players, and I'm going to give you the quote, Don, I hope that doesn't embarrass you, <laughs> that Steve Sachs was literally a penis-flicking prankster. Any comments on that? All I can say is I think all that is very true. I, I, would, I would agree with everything, except for the, the, the journeyman thing a little bit, but everything else I think is pretty true. That's awesome. Okay, well, then i got to keep going here. Now we're going to get to the pitchers. He re- describes a young Jack McDowell as cocky, and Alex Fernandez as cockier. These guys were pitchers that were with you. I know it's 30 years ago, but uh, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that in those guys. I'd say that, yes, but I still think McDowell's cockier than, than Alex. <laughs> All right. So now here comes the best part. And it, I'm kind of curious what your, your feelings are on it, especially because you, you can describe whether or not this is accurate about Bo and then also about uh, Frank Thomas. Uh, the, he really kind of in the book talks about Frank. I am not going to read the whole thing, but basically it says that, uh, Frank wasn't very easy to get along with. Uh, Lance Johnson refers to him as a baby and they, oh yeah, he does. He calls him a baby and says that the year the coaches decided they wanted to bat uh, Frank fifth to protect some guys in the lineup. He refused. And I heard that and thought, there goes our shot at the World Series because everybody would just pitch around them, which they did. But it then describes that Bo Jackson shows up and he becomes the first guy who can just tell Frank Thomas to shove it because he's not afraid of him. So how accurately does that describe Bo? And do you want to comment on the thoughts on Frank Thomas? No, no, I got no comment on the Frank Thomas <laughs> stuff. I mean, I can see how some people may think that about him. Um but this is, it was good to have Bo in there, but I'll tell you what, the two people who kind of rode Frank Thomas the most and would tell him, you know, right to his face, you know, whatever they want to say, two, two guys you might think very unlikely, Ozzie Guillen and Joey Cora. 
were always all over Frank. It was, it was hilarious. Yes, Joey, little Joey Cora and big Frank Thomas, and Joey was just ripping into him the whole time. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love hearing that because, you know, I'm sitting there and saying, well, logically, Bo would sit there and look at Frank and be like, shut up. Like, I mean, like, like they even, they right. describe him saying yeah. that here and when I'm reading this excerpt from this book, but, but I, I, I love the idea and I'm not surprised that Ozzy would talk trash. I expect Ozzy to talk, yeah, to yell at yeah. anybody, right? But Joey Cora, tiny little Joey, Joey as one yep. of the guys that would just talk trash to Frank Thomas amazes me. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. It was funny. It was funny. <laughs> the Lance Johnson one, I don't know where he talks about Lance Johnson being a baby. I don't know. No, don't no, no, no. That. He doesn't say Lance Johnson. He doesn't say Lance Johnson's a baby. Lance describes Frank as a baby. Oh, Lance describes Frank as a baby. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there for sure. No, but, uh, no, I yeah. don't expect you to. I imagine a Don Paul no. as a fly on the wall inside of that locker room. Are you, <laughs> exactly, are you just kind of yeah. sitting back and just watching and being like, yeah. you know, I'm a kid from Evergreen Park. I'm not getting into the middle of this. Uh, completely, yes, yes. Just enjoying <laughs> the show. <laughs> <laughs> Don Paul and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, and explore, and see more at lamontdowntown.com. You know, is it weird to you that, like, you, you know, something could pass so far away in time? I mean, it's 30 years ago, and then a book pops up, and now all of a sudden you hear a description of something that was happening in one of your clubhouses that you were part of a long, long time ago. Is it strange to you that that could still come out into the public? I guess so. Well, yeah, it is. That this, this, you know, far removed from it all. It's, Sounds uh, pretty entertaining, yeah. Something I might like to read because yeah, I mean, Bo Jackson to me, I mean, he's a phenomenon. He's he's got an incredible story. I mean, the guy something like he could have done anything he wanted to. Just just you know, between the football, the baseball, and just everything else he could athletically do, and I don't think he ever really worked out. I don't know how he had that physique. And 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 one thing I do remember one time, Bo had his. Both in the locker room and Tim Raines in the locker room, and they both had their kids with them in the locker room for some reason that day. And it's hilarious. They're about the same age. They're both probably about eight years old or something, ten years old. And it's hilarious because Bo's kid is a huge kid, you know, just like Bo. And Tim Raines' kid was just a small, skinny kid, just like Tim Raines. And it's just it's so funny because it's like, oh yeah, I can tell whose kids who, you know, just looking at these two right there. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I, I, uh, are you disappointed when I say that I didn't see your name in the book? I haven't gone through the whole thing yet, but I don't see it. Does it bother you? No, 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 no. I don't need to be, I don't need to be named in the book. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's funny about the, the, the cockiness with Alex and, and Jack. And, uh, I don't know. And again, and I look at it for those guys, you know, to me, it was both cocky in a good way. You know, they were, they were both, pleasure to have on the team they were great teammates to have and they were they were cocky because they were very good and the cockiness helped them become better pitchers i think so i i, I loved it and, and i would love to see a book by jack mcdowell come out that's what i'd like to read because he's a guy that seems like he's pretty unfiltered you know and so he just can't say what it is too he has a lot more good stuff in there about everybody than Bo does. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I know that you leave that team before the 93 season ends, but uh, I was a, I was a teenager at the time 
And I always have very fond memories of that team just because they they make it to the postseason and I felt like they were going to win the World Series the next year, but you run into the strike and 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 then you know it just doesn't work out for them in in the long run. But that that team, you were part of it as it was coming together, and you could see them before they had even accomplished winning a division championship. And I can imagine that there was some kind of buzz in that locker room that felt different, or at least probably is comparable to some of the places you were at later on where where teams went far. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I'd say the bummer for me was, you know, I, I came up in 88 with the team when the team was terrible. You know, so to see this whole team come up with, you know, young guys that play with the minor leagues all kind of come up together when it was terrible to start with and eventually start getting better and better and becoming a playoff caliber team, you know, World Series possibility, and then they get traded off right when we got good and going to the playoffs. <laughs> that was that was uh, really hurt, hurt uh, for me to have, to have that happen to me. That's brutal. Now I feel bad for even mentioning it. I'm sorry, Dodd. No, not at all, not at all. But uh, hey, but I got traded to the Phillies. You know, the '93 Phillies were they went to the World Series as it turned out, and they were a phenomenal group of guys and stuff over there too. So uh, yeah, don't feel bad for me. I, <laughs> I had it good no matter what. Is that your pick for the World Series? I know as this episode comes out, uh, we'll be in the middle of it, so I don't know what the uh, how many games each team will be up. But I would imagine you're pulling for a former team. I am for sure pulling for the former team, the Phillies. I still think that Houston is just a, a great team. They've got, you know, they're, they're the best. They got great offense. They got great defense. They got great pitching. They've got everything going for them over there for sure. A fabulous team doesn't mean that they're going to win, but they should win with all the talent they got going on over there. But I just, I still have a hard time rooting against the the, the, the cheaters as they did call them. You know, so uh, I still. Can't get past that, so I'm always rooting against uh, the, you know, the cheating Astros, as you might say. That's awesome. I love it. Don Paul, former White Sox pitcher, Southside guy, always nice enough to jump on sacks in the basement. Thanks so much for the stories and the laughs, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. <laughs> Anytime, Chris, for sure. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. I want to get into Don Paul and the stuff that he said. I, I love that interview. I had so much fun talking to him. Like I said, I, I had one idea for him, and then we got something that just dropped right in our lap, and I'm like, holy cow, we have a guy that was in that clubhouse, and we got to talk to him. But before we get into that, I have not gotten to you yet, my friend. Uh, Ed, give me your thoughts right now as we sit here on the White Sox managerial situation. Well, the good news is is that they haven't messed it up yet, right? They haven't they haven't done anything to completely screw this up. It, it still seems to be between Joe Espada, who is probably Rick Hahn's 
choice. And between Ozzy Guillen, who seems to be gaining momentum, as I'm looking at things on Twitter and, and people going back and forth, there's this you know idea that he's gaining steam. John Heyman comes on and and says, you know, hey, it's it's, it's I wouldn't be surprised, wouldn't be my choice. You know, everyone, you know, Kaplan's on a radio show, David Kaplan's on a radio show, not his own, but another one, saying that he wouldn't be shocked, uh, you know, essentially if Ozzy got it, because Jerry seems to really want Ozzy Guillen to do this. And I, I think what you're looking at is you're looking at the choice between a guy who showed he could manage and showed that he could do this very, very well. He was a very good manager. Ozzy Guillen was a good manager, at least at the start, okay? When he first came on board... He was a good manager. He did pretty well with the team before 2005. He did very well in 2005. They won a World Series. They were not expected to win a World Series that year. So you have a pedigree there. Uh, and then things fell apart after that. It, it did go downhill for Ozzy, And he fought with the front office. And that's apparently what the interview with Jerry was going to be about, was clearing the air and, and getting this idea out of, here's why it went wrong 12 years ago, and here's why it'll be better this time around. You know, just, just opening up about that and having that therapy session with Jerry Reinsdorf. Doesn't change the fact that he also flamed out in Miami. Uh, he had problems down there. He did not end in a glorious fashion down there. So he's, my big concern with Ozzy is that he's flamed out twice. And you have a guy that I think knows this team. I think if you hand him the same team that the Sox had this year, he would have handled it differently than Tony did, differently than Miguel Cairo did, and could be a breath of fresh air in that regard. Um, but you also have to think about the fact that this is still Ozzie Guillen. It's going to be a different team next year. There still seems to be some problems in the front office between what Rick wants, what Jerry wants, maybe what Kenny wants, and Rick may not want to get along with Ozzie in that, in that regard. He may not want to go with, with – Ozzy's style of management, which let's face it, Ozzy's style of management is something that when we look at, you know, what, what Ozzy did with small ball, how much he loved to bunt, how he liked and, and focused on moving runners along, that's not too far off of the singles hitting that Tony wanted, right? The offense that Tony wanted. I, I think Ozzy might be capable of letting this team ride and letting it rip, but I'm just not entirely sure. I'm not 100% convinced that that's what's going to happen with this. The other part of it, too, is that we don't know what Joe Espada is. We know he's a good bench coach. We know that he's coming from a winning organization in the Astros. We know that he's been learning at Dusty Baker's right hand. But we don't know if he's going to be a good manager, if he's going to be able to handle the X's and O's, calling the game, doing what he needs to do, handling the clubhouse the way he needs to. He's going to make rookie mistakes, and I don't know if this team can do that. So I'm torn. I don't think that either guy is a perfect fit. And I think if Ron Washington maybe comes in as a dark horse, maybe he is a, a, a an in-betweener there where you're talking about a guy who was a successful manager that is coming from an outside organization now in Atlanta that has been a winning organization that can bring a new voice to it but knows how to manage and knows how to run a team and isn't a bench coach and not doing a first-time thing. He might still be the best bet. And then you have Kevin you know, Kevin Long, the, the hitting coach of the Phillies, and gosh, who knows what he is. So – I think the best thing we can say is, as we're sitting here right now recording this, they haven't messed up yet, but they haven't quite gotten it right. So there you go. And Don Paul, let's talk about him. A great guest who's been on this show so many different times. He would not qualify as one of the $1,000 guest bounty guests because we already know him, right? But if you know somebody who's famous, 
If you know a big name, baseball, outside of baseball, somebody who would be entertaining between now and spring training, we're bringing them on Socks in the Basement just like we did last year. And then fans are going to vote to find out which one is the best guest. And the winner gets a thousand bucks. Not really the guest. I mean, the guest, I guess, could play for themselves or a charity. We had Liam Hendricks do that last year. But the person that got that guest on wins the G. And the rest of us win for getting to have that person on Socks in the Basement and listening to what they have to say. Entries are open right now. Hit us up in our DMs on social media. Go to SocksInTheBasement.com. Write us a message. Leave us a voicemail. There is no fee to enter. You just got to get the ball rolling with the guest. The thousand bucks put up by the law offices of Parente and Norum. Socks in the Basement listeners, call or text them today for a free case evaluation. 312 641 5926. They've already gotten over $400 million for their injured clients and loved ones. Visit pninjurylaw.com. Now, Ed, your thoughts on Don Paul and that 93 and probably before 93 dugout because Bo kind of shows up. He's rehabbing, but he's around the team. Some of those names that are in that book aren't on the 93 team. So that obviously spans, you know, leading into that season where Don is with the team for the majority of the season. And then he's out the door and and off to a, another location and gets to go to the Phillies and, and almost wins a World Series, but doesn't get to play in the postseason with his favorite team as a kid. What's your take on what you heard about Don and uh, that team from that era? You know, my memories of that team were that it was the White Sox renaissance. It was the first time that I had really been aware of people who were not previously Sox fans that were kind of becoming Sox fans. So the fact that the clubhouse was as interesting as apparently it was, I think is is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a fascinating thing for me because – on the outside, we were looking at it and going, well, you know, they got these stars. Bo Jackson, Frank Thomas, you got the, you know, these huge stars. Jack McDowell, you know, rock and roller and, and you know, this great pitcher. And you, you got all these great pitching and, 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 and Don Paul, of course, too. Um, and Hawk and Wimpy at their Hawk and Wimpiest. You know, it, it just the whole thing that came together. And it was like, gosh, this is just – this is great. As a Sox fan, it was vindication. Um because I had been in the northwest suburbs of Chicago as a kid, and that's Cubs territory. Man, I was picked on for being a White Sox fan. Like, like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, for that 93 team to come around, everyone's like, you know, the uniforms are cooler now when they went to the silver and black. Um, they're a winning team. They got these great players. There was a lot of respect. There was just a lot of respect for it. And I love hearing about the insides of that because that, that era for me is when Sox fandom became cool beyond – Sox fans for the first time you know in at least in my lifetime and I don't think we'll ever see that kind of a turnaround of White Sox coolness again in my lifetime they'll have to come up with some radical new uniforms or they might have to do something you know really really amazing and make you and I the face of the franchise Socks in the basement Socks in the basement Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.